Uh, two things at the same time. Two things are in my brain. I can't decide which one to say first, but I'm going to try this one. Same both at the same time. Yeah, yeah, good. That'd be amazing. Welcome to Retiring Today, the podcast that guides you to and through retirement. I'm Molly Nelson. I'm here with Rochelle Smith. She's the producer of this podcast and Lauren Merkel. He is a certified financial planner and a CFF. What's that mean again? Certified financial fiduciary. Fiduciary. Very good. And as we tackle today's topic, which is social security, we're going to talk about the myths versus the realities. We're going to talk about the things that people come right here to Merkel Retirement Planning thinking they know about social security and Social Security is a really important part of your retirement. And as I read this here, Lauren, we've got some things like it's a great foundation. It's the backbone. It's the framework or can be the framework of your retirement. When I hear foundation and framework, Rochelle, what does that make you think of? A uh, building. Like a home, maybe? Like a home. Oh, okay. Like Lauren's doing with remodeling his home. Oh, I see where you're going. Oh. Immediately, you guys are talking about building a home. And I was thinking about what I was talking about last night at our, our class. I was talking about building a home and then building your financial home and how important the foundation is to both of those. The more sturdy your, your foundation is on your home, the more f- confidence you're going to have when that tornado comes through. The more sturdy your fiscal house is, the more confidence that you're going to have when the coronavirus comes through or any other type of event that's going to disrupt the financial markets. And that's all well and good when it comes to retirement. I hear you there. But what the people want to know. You wanted to talk about my home. (laughs) Is your torn up home (laughs) that we've been talking about for weeks. Uh, Where's it at? Well, the good news is it's getting put back together. So this week I had insulation put in. I was supposed to have some drywall come in, but my electrician was doing some final work before the ele- before the found or before the insulation. And he calls me. He's like, uh, "Hey, uh, the HVAC guys they pulled a permit. I went down to pull a permit, and the guy at City Hall said that you have not pulled a building permit." So I was like, "Okay." So I went down to City Hall, and you know, obviously they want me to pull the building permit before the work starts. Well, the electrical's already done, the HVAC's already done, insulation's going in as we speak, and it's a little bit late for that. So, because they want to approve what you're doing, right? The city wants to say yes, this is okay. Basically, is that yeah, how that works? Based on what I'm doing, you know, I knew the trades were going to pull the permits, right? And I thought everything was legit and fine, but no, they want to go a step further and, and pull the building permit. <clears throat> so now I have to schedule, and they're not doing it in-person inspections because of COVID. So that we have to do a FaceTime live or some kind of live video feed where I'm walking around the house showing my my phone what's done. So we have to schedule that at some time before I can put the drywall on or have the drywall put on. That's how I saw my first house when I, when, before we bought it. Video? Yeah. I was out of town. Clarence bought it without me. Ever setting foot in it. And is everything you thought it would be through the video? No. The (laughs) video just makes, like, it was so up close. It was just bad. Everything looks different on pictures or the video. Yeah. And when you look at those pictures online or even some of the the video now, to me, it just looks so much bigger than when you actually go in person. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something about being in a space, especially before you buy it and and set up, you know, you spend a lot of time in your home. Yeah. So we're getting there. Progress is being made. So end of 2020 is what we're thinking? Yeah, I think so. You know, <laughs> when we're talking about final completion. 
Hopefully the insulation will be in, you know, maybe before winter hits. <laughs> Insulation's in now. Oh, I thought we'd pull As it back a, yes. out. I wasn't sure. No, 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 no. We're not pulling that, that back out. So that was completed <laughs> yesterday. Two days worth of insulation work. This is a never-ending project. We will be talking about this in future podcasts, so stay tuned. Houses are fun. There's always something to do. <laughs> <laughs> never-ending story. <laughs> There's always something to talk about when it comes to retirement planning, and today we're tackling Social Security because it is a big part of your retirement plan. Not as big as it used to be, of course, when it was first uh, incepted. Let's go you know, through Social Security, Lauren. How did it start and where is it at today? Social Security legislation was first uh, introduced in 1935. The very first lump sum check was made, uh, the very first lump sum check was paid in 1937. And I know I've asked you guys this before, but what was the what was the amount of that check? I can't remember. You have asked me. Thirty-seven. Not much. First lump sum check was seventeen cents. Oh. <laughs> and in nineteen thirty-seven, <clears throat> there was no no such thing as direct deposit, so they mailed that physical check, <laughs> and the postage cost three cents. Wow. All kinds of great information for you guys. <laughs> So 1940 was the first annuity check. It was about $25, uh, and that was paid to Ida Mae Fuller. And she only paid into Social Security, uh, into the Social Security Administration. I think she only made one, one payment into it. And then she was collecting that payment. She lived a long time. I think she lived into her 90s, and she, she was collecting that payment for a very long time. So it was a great investment for her. At that point in 1940, there was about 50 people paying in for every one person taken out. Right now, for every... For every two people paying in, one person's taken out. So that ratio has shrunk. Now, one of the most important things for retirees or pre-retirees as they transition to re the retirement phase is where are they going to get the income from? You know, you've been working for 40 years. You always have an income coming in. You go to work. You know you're going to get paid. And when you retire, you're not working anymore, but you still need a lifestyle. You still need an income. And that's why Social Security is so important or top of mind for a lot of pre-retirees because it does represent anywhere between 30 to 40% of many retirees' income. And it's for life. So that's very important income. You know you're going to receive this for the rest of your life. So up to 81 different options is what retirees have when it comes to electing their Social Security, which is pretty daunting. Thinking about weeding through all of these different options, making a permanent decision. Once you make that 12 months after, you cannot change it ever. You want to make sure you get it right. And unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation that's out there on Social Security that's leading people to decisions that if they had the accurate information, they probably wouldn't make. And I hear people talking, Lauren, and when to elect Social Security is one of those kind of stressful decisions. I just talked to someone recently who basically was telling me that they elected Social Security right away uh, in order to have that, that money for a very specific thing, but then regretted it because a really great job opportunity came back to them to work full time with benefits. And then they already had elected Social Security, and then there's an earnings test involved, and there's just so many moving parts. There's so many moving parts, and it's hard unless you do this, unless you actually keep up with Social Security legislative changes and you're really into the nuance of Social Security, it's hard to determine what some of those ramifications might be, right? It's the unintended consequences in this in this example. He, he turned on his Social Security to pay for a very particular uh, expense that, that he had, but later he regretted it. And we hear those stories all the time 
they they make decisions after 12 months of making that decision they can't change it and then life changes and they wish they could do it over or they learn more information about some of the other options that they had and they wish they could do it over one of the biggest pieces of feedback we get is i wish i would have known that five years ago or i wish i would have started that type of planning 10 years ago because they they feel people often feel they would make different decisions social security you, if you elect it right away at 62, that's a 25% discount based on if you elected a full retirement age. And you then do have an earnings test. So right now, if you make, if you take Social Security at 62 or prior to full retirement age, you have, you can only make up to $18,000 in the year. Otherwise you lose, uh, you lose a benefit based on the payment that you otherwise would have received. Now you don't lose it permanently because once you obtain full retirement age, they recalculate your benefit and they will recalculate what you lost previously into that benefit. But for those years, whether it's four years, three years, two years, you're going to receive a reduced amount. And some people, they make so much that they don't receive any benefit from social security, even though they've already elected it because of that earnings test. Another conversation that comes up simultaneously a lot with social security is insolvency or will they run out of money? The coronavirus and social security, there's a really interesting article that we'll link in our show notes. I found it on Politico this morning and basically a couple of factors that they're saying is going to push that insolvency date to 2030. So just 10 years from now, if Congress does nothing, obviously, if Congress does nothing, they're saying a couple of factors. Obviously, the unemployment rate is up due to coronavirus. So not as many people paying into social security. Older Americans who have lost their jobs, maybe due to coronavirus, are going to claim sooner than they would have if the coronavirus had not hit the United States. So some calculating that in 2030, Social Security will be insolvent. So it's not so far off that people who are thinking about retirement aren't thinking about this insolvency issue. Every single year, there are articles written on the insolvency issue. And, and in fact, uh, they the government does frequent studies on the solvency of Social Security. And every time we go through a recession or we go through a down market where people are financially distressed, we see articles much like that article uh, about COVID in 2008. There were articles being published because so many people were laid off, unemployment rates increased, people were financially distressed they needed income and so if they're 63 years old they got laid off or or they got let go now they need income they can go to social security to take it so they're taking it early as opposed to if they if 2008 didn't happen they maintained their job they would not have taken it so all the, the, those types of articles come out frequently um the the thing is and there's two points on on the insolvency one is if you're already taking Social Security, it's probably not going to impact you because Congress is going to make changes and they're going to shore up the the uh, the walls of Social Security. So your benefits will probably be there in a meaningful way for the rest of your retirement. If you're approaching age 62, if you're 60 or probably 55 plus, your benefits will be there in a very meaningful way. There will be consistent changes with Social Security. There has been consistent changes with Social Security. I think one exception to what I just said would be if they apply a means test, meaning that if you make X or over, then your benefits may be reduced or maybe even go away, even if you're currently receiving them. Now, I would hope not, but it's very possible. And there has been a lot of push towards that type of means test. So I, I would I would have that as one asterisk to if you're already receiving it, your benefits probably won't substantially change. Um, for those of, of you who haven't taken the benefits, 
uh, there's and, and let's say you're under 55, there's probably going to be some some changes that will impact your your benefit amount. Certainly, the people people in this room. Uh, our benefits will be impacted and probably some of the the changes that could happen or are most probable is we won't be able to file for social security till a later date maybe we can't take it at 62 maybe we we have to wait till 65 like when social security started in, in 1940 you couldn't apply for benefits until you were 65 and then over the years, that that changed like a lot of other legislation with Social Security. So there's going to be some changes like that. Maybe you're not eligible for full retirement uh, age benefits until age 70, you know, for us. So the, the younger generations who still have some time to adjust our plans and, and adapt to those types of significant legislative changes, those will help shore up the walls of Social Security. There's going to be changes like that because there's many options that Congress can take to make sure that Social Security doesn't become insolvent. And uh, the one thing about politicians is they, they like their jobs. So if they, if they co go to the country, especially the baby boomer demographic who's currently taking their benefits or planning to take them within a relatively short period of time. And that demographic also votes at a very high rate. At a very high rate. They're not going to be very happy. They're not going to keep their jobs. Um, so uh, Social Security is going to be here for a very long time, certainly for those who are close or already taking it. It's going to change, uh, and but most of those changes will um, will come to the younger generations. So the point of today's episode is to try to make sure we break down some of the myths versus the realities of Social Security. So we've tackled insolvency a little bit, kind of some unknowns there, but a nice perspective from Lauren. So Lauren, you've got a few true-false questions. Again, these are things that people come into the Merkel Retirement Planning offices saying they've heard from friends or or they're not sure about. So we just want to make sure that people understand the myth, the myths versus the realities. Our first true-false question, what is it? First question is, the Social Security Administration will help you choose your best filing option. See, the Social Security Administration is there to help with questions. Now the question is, is what kind of questions can they help you with and what kind of advice, if any, can they give you? So when you call the Social Security Administration, will they help you choose your best filing option, true or false? I'm going to say the keyword there is best. I think they'll probably, I think they can probably lay out the options for you. Correct. But I don't think they can help you with the best option because they don't know anything else about your financial situation. So false. Keep in mind, a married couple may have up to 81 different options. Can you envision a phone call where somebody on the, the other line is going to go through all 81 different options you have without having any idea of what the other resources that you have is, is just not possible. Uh, and I wouldn't, nobody would recommend somebody giving permanent financial advice based on just an isolated resource that you have within your overall retirement plan. So the answer is false. What they can do is they can go over some of the, the, the handful of options, the most pertinent options that you have. They can give you advice as far as technically how to file, right? And they can even file for you. You can go online to file. They can give you some guidance on, on the technicalities of going online and filing or they can do it for you, but they are, should not be, even though some of them do try, uh, but they should not be giving you specific advice as far as when you should file and what benefits specifically you should elect. So let's talk about what filing looks like for the families that we work with. You go through the options well before it's time to make that election and then 
then how does the election work? Well, what we do is we we bake it into their overall retirement plan. So at retirement, if you plan on retiring at 64, you need $6,000 a month of income. You have these investable resources over here. Maybe you have a pension, maybe you don't. And then you have Social Security. If you're married, you have a lot more Social Security options than if you're single. So we really narrow down the up to 81 different options you have to a handful of, of more manageable options. And then we plug those into your plan and say, if you elect Social Security, using this strategy here's the short-term income pack income impact here's the long-term impact on your overall retirement plan and then we figure out which of those options really makes the most sense for you and then when it comes time to file that's not very difficult anymore we used to have to call the administration so we've had many conversations many conversations with the administration and we know what those conversations look like so when people come to us and they say I called the administration and I asked this question, wasn't really confident about the answer I got, but they are the, the administration. They should know what they're talking about. So I called back at a later date, asked the exact same question and got a completely different response. When we were calling the administration with our families on the phone, trying to file, we heard that all the time, misinformation. The problem is, is that whenever we heard the misinformation from the administration, the person giving that information they seemed very confident, right? There was, it didn't seem like they were doubting their response to the question. They, they seemed like they knew what they were talking about. So unless you actually knew that they were giving misinformation, how would you ever know? Yeah, you wouldn't know. You've only filed once. <laughs> That's this right. isn't something you've done several times in your life. And if you've ever called the administration and if you waited on hold for 45 minutes before you can talk to somebody, you don't want to make that call too oh, many times. You, you just want to get it over with. <laughs> okay, and get sure. It, get it done and start the income coming in. So that, that was what we used to do prior to them creating their website. Now that they've created the website, it's much easier. All we have to do is go online. Uh, people can create a username and a password so they have their own individual logon on the ssa.gov website. And then we go through the questionnaire. And there's a lot of questions, uh, but we go through it. We make it really easy. And, and pretty most of the time, we can get done with a filing within 15 to 20 minutes through the online application. So we and that's will, physically happening in the office if that's what people prefer? Yes, most definitely. That's one of the things that we do uh, is we file our family's Social Security benefits. And so we'll do that with them so they don't have to worry about calling and waiting on hold. They don't have to worry about fumbling through all the questions uh, over the, the website. We do that for our families. And then what happens is right away once we file, they get an email confirmation. So they, they get an email confirmation from Social Security Administration saying that the filing went through. They recognize it, and it'll be a couple of weeks before they actually get a physical letter confirmation in the mail. So a couple of weeks after they file, they'll get a, a physical letter confirmation that will give them the approximate amount of benefit that they, they will receive, and then the date of which that benefit will commence. So we make the process very simple. S same thing with Medicare, too. I mean, Medicare is a daunting task to try to figure out um, Medicare A, Medicare B, and then the supplemental plans. And then it's a very similar filing process, which isn't a lot of fun either. So we file the, that for our, our families, too. All right, I'm ready for more true or false. All right, the next one. Your benefits will receive a cost of living adjustment every single year. Don't we wish? Yeah, that'd be nice. Mm -hmm. It's false. Though we want it to be true. It is false. Uh, in fact, uh, post-2008, there, there was a period, I can't remember, five years, let's say five years in a row, something like that, four to five years in a row where ben uh, Social Security beneficiaries received zero cost of living adjustments 
for four to five years consecutively. So now, ideally, we like to, over the history of the cost of living adjustments, it's averaged about 2.5% per year increase, but that's an average. So some years are zero, some years are six, some years are three. Uh, so the, the cost of living adjustment is nice when people receive it, um, but it does not come every year. So when you're building out a 30-year retirement plan, do you just build out that average of 2.5 on the Social Security, or do you just kind of assume even lower? Yeah, we, we do use the cost of living adjustment, just like we use an inflation adjustment on the expense side, um, but we, we try to be really conservative. So the average is 2.5% historically, and we just assume a 1% increase on the, on the cost of living. Okay, I think we're two for two. Let's see if we're going to make it three for three. You guys are good Ooh. at this. You guys must be paying attention when we talk about Social Security. We haven't this fooled. Could, this could so, be, we haven't fooled. We, we, this could be your first 100% right quiz. Well, all right. See off how to, we off do. to a great start. All right, the third one. Your highest monthly benefit will be at age 70. Okay, I think that that is false, and here's why. I think full retirement age varies by when you were born. Let me read the question again. Well, I'm doing like you, an asterisk. Let me, okay. let me read the question. Okay, 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 sorry. Your highest monthly benefit will be at age 70. Okay, I'm just going to say false then. Okay. I'm going to say false too. Okay. Uh, the answer to that is true. So, Molly, what you were talking about is you were right. Your full retirement age benefit is dependent upon what year you were born. Um, but even after your full retirement age, the, the highest full retirement age today is age 67. And if, if that's your full retirement age, if you don't collect your benefits until 68, then you get an 8% increase on those benefits. If you don't collect it until 69, that's a 16% increase. And if you don't collect it until age 70, that's a 24% increase on those benefits over what you would have received if you turned it at 67. If you wait until 71, that's where the increases go away. Got it. So you, okay. still, you still get any applicable cost of living adjustments. And if you're continuing to work, you will still get adjustments based on your, your wage if it replaces one of your highest 35 wage earning years that's already embedded within your calculation. But you do not get the 8% increase if you wait post 70. Do you have to elect then by 70? You don't have to elect, but you would want to elect. There would be no reason There'd to be, wait then. No, there, w there wouldn't be a reason because your Social Security payment does not increase based on waiting. It can increase based on higher wages. It can increase based on the cost of living adjustment, but it will not increase based on you waiting. So there's uh, very few reasons why one would want to wait post-70. No more 100%. So disappointing. <laughs> I was starting to think these, these questions were too easy. <laughs> If you are divorced, you can still file for survivorship benefits. If you are divorced, can you file for survivorship benefits? So, 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 and survivorship benefits are those. So if you, if you used to be married, which obviously if you're divorced, you used to be married. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that spouse passes away, are you eligible for benefits based on that spouse. Well, and see, I was thinking even more complicated, like maybe your first spouse passed, your second spouse, you got divorced. So I was kind of going with that combination. The so I was going to yeah. say false on it. The question still, true. the question is a little broad, right? If, if, if you are divorced, you can still file for survivor benefits. There's a lot of if, what ifs go, that go into that. Uh, the, but, but, but it must be something that people can ask be eligible. You when they right? come so in. So if, yeah. if you if you were married for more than ten years, you got divorced from that individual, 
and that individual passes away, you are eligible for survivorship benefits if you're not remarried and under the age 60. If you didn't get remarried prior to the age of 60. If you got remarried after the age of 60, then you are eligible for those survivorship benefits. From that first, from or the, from the marriage from, that lasted from, 10 years. From the marriage, yep. But there have been times that people have been married multiple times. Uh, yeah. And so we are providing the administration with all this information and saying, what would be the benefits if this individual claimed off of this ex-spouse? What would be the benefits if right. the individual claim, claimed benefits off of this ex-spouse? So they'll give us that information, and then we can determine what the appropriate route is for that individual. And in a survivorship situation, they, they can have even more options because let's say, well, first of all, they, don't, they can start claiming survivorship benefits as early as age 60. They can only claim their own benefits at 62, but survivorship benefits as early as 60. But let's let's say they're 62, and they are eligible for survivorship benefits. They can claim their own benefits, and then the survivorship benefits will grow up until the claimant reaches full retirement age. So they can claim their benefits, receive Social Security payments, and then later switch over to the higher survivorship benefit at their full retirement age if they want to. Or they can claim survivorship benefits as early as age 60 and allow their benefits to grow all the way up until age 70 if they want to and switch to the higher benefit at age 70, all the while receiving Social Security payments for the last 10 years. So if you're in a survivorship situation, you do have a lot of options. And now it's a matter of what is your survivorship benefit versus what your benefit is? What are you trying to do from a work retirement standpoint? And then with all of that information, it's much easier to come up with what your claiming options should be. So Lauren, I think the takeaway is Social Security is kind of complicated. We've outlined all the options and how it can get kind of complicated, but it's really important. It's, it's really important because, again, that we're talking about your income, and this is income you will receive from the day you elect, or actually the month after you elect, for the rest of your life. So it's extremely important, and the unfortunate part is that there is a lot of misinformation out there that does tend to lead people to decisions that if they had all of the information accurate information at their disposal when they made their election, they would make a different decision. And we hear that story time and time again. So for you, for those of you who are listening, create the plan, create the retirement plan that involves all of your resources, that involves a, a budget of how much you think you need to maintain your lifestyle. Gather all the appropriate information on what your Social Security claiming options are, whether you're married, you're single, you used to be married, you used to be married and your spouse is now passed, you used to be married and now you're remarried. There's all these what-ifs that could take place, or these if-thens that will depend on what your claiming options are. So after you gather all of that information, then you can really decipher what the more appropriate options are going to be for you. And then that way, 10 years down the road, you don't have to look back and say, what if? What if I would have made this decision? I would be in a much better income uh, situation now. Uh, and, and it really eliminates that look back and, and regret. Social Security, just one of the pieces of a comprehensive retirement plan. We like to talk about the other pieces in a lot of different ways. We have a television show. You can catch clips of that on our YouTube channel, Merkle Retirement Planning. We talk about the other components of retirement planning. But a way to sort of interact with us is the workshops that we offer. Lauren, people can go online, merkleplan.com, M-E-R-K-L-E plan.com and check out those workshops. 
Information is key, and we that's why we supply these workshops online. It's very easy, regardless of where you're at, what state you're at, what country you're in. You can you can go online and, and look at the information to help you achieve your best retirement vision. So we specifically talk about what if you're within five years of retiring. Here's some of the considerations you should have. Here's some of the things that you should be thinking about, decisions that are going to be on your plate within a very few short years. Here's, here's some of the information that you're going to want to digest and incorporate within your overall retirement plan. We have an online workshop out there that that is, what if you're already retired? How can you get a little bit more out of your retirement resources now that you've already made those decisions? Maybe you've already elected Social Security. Uh, some of the considerations that a lot of retirees have is how do they how do they offset the risk of long-term care expense? How do they transition what's left over to their loved ones and charities in the most efficient way? So we have uh, online workshops that out there for those of you who are already retired, but just looking to get a little bit more, a little bit more confident in the decisions that you still have left. Because even if you're 85 years old, there's still, there, you still have goals. You're still trying to accomplish things in your life, financial life, and there's decisions that you will make. So information, accurate information just helps any of these decisions, re- regardless of what phase of your retirement you're in. Okay, those workshops are complimentary for times and topics. Go to MerkelPlan.com. So Social Security, you're, you're really good at talking about the great foundation of Social Security, your home foundation, the, the construction. Well, we'll tune in next week to see the saga and where it stands. Can't wait. <laughs> Join us for the next podcast where we continue to guide you to and through retirement. Thanks for listening. Merkle Retirement Planning is an independent financial services firm helping individuals create retirement strategies using a variety of investments and insurance products to custom suit their goals and objectives. Any information discussed in these shows is for educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment advisory services are offered through Elite Retirement Planning, LLC. Insurance services are offered through MRP Insurance, LLC. LLC.